Let's open our Bibles to the book of Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. It is the description of a funeral of the city of Jerusalem. It is really five different poems that are put to music. I thought of this, uh, as a matter of fact, I just thought of it right now. It's just something that you can identify with um, a sad song. The most famous song worldwide ever written was White Christmas by Bing Crosby. But who knows what the second song of all time is? Anybody know? Yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. And that's the second most popular song of all time. Why? Because it's a song that almost everybody can identify with. When things were better, uh, looking back, and it is the second most popular song of all time, identified. Where yesterday is going to be long gone and forgotten about, Lamentations will be a part where God said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The deeper you dig in the scriptures, the deeper the scriptures become. And for all eternity, he's going to be showing us the treasures of this book. Some of the uniqueness about the book of Lamentations is that we call it an acrostic psalms or writing. What I mean by that is in the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with elf, A-L-E-P-H, that's the letter A, they have 22 letters. And if you look at every one of these chapters, they have 22 verses. Every one of them except chapter 3, it has 66 verses, which is 22 plus 22 plus 22. Then chapter 4 has 22, and then chapter 5 has 22. The evidence of design here, they call this, um, again, acrostic, or after the alphabet of the Hebrew language. So every time you you start a sentence, it'll it'll start with the letter A, and then go to bet, and so on and so forth. And so that's how it's laid out. It is five chapters long, and um, I'm going to begin and hopefully tie in um, why it's important to study books like Lamentation, because for 40 years, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet, brokenhearted. He was really a tenderhearted guy, Um, but he wouldn't compromise with the message, even though everybody hated him for the message that he had, which was the, the fall of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he would not let up on it. And he preached it his whole life. And now lamentation is simply a reflection. The damage is done. And um, here is God's city laid in waste all because of the sins of the last four, really the last four kings of, um, of Judah, Uh, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. The one before them, King Josiah, was actually a friend of Jeremiah, and he was a good king. And he had many reforms, but it was too little too late. The damage had been done. And once Josiah died, he went to battle against um, uh, Pharaoh. He died around Megiddo. He should have never went to that war, but he did, and he, he died. Scriptures record Jeremiah bemoaning the loss of his friend. So Josiah would have been the last good king. And the last four were all bad. And judgment came, and Jerusalem 
fell. And with that much, let me make the application at the beginning and the end because I think it's important in the times which we live today. And that is, Jesus wept twice in the New Testament. He wept at the the death of Lazarus, but then he wept when he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that stones the prophets. Jeremiah would would likely have been in that number. And he's bemoaning the fact, and he said, and as he came down and he looked at Jerusalem, it says he began to weep. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, if you only would have known what could have been your peace, but now your peace is taken from you, and your enemies are gonna surround you, gonna build an encampment around you, and they're gonna lower your walls and destroy where there won't be one stone left upon another. And then he says, because, because you did not know the time of your coming. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jeremiah is weeping over Jerusalem. Jeremiah is a prophet. He was true to his word. And when Daniel read Jeremiah, it was because he read Jeremiah that we have Daniel chapter 9, the very day that I just quoted Luke 19, where... Jesus, that was the day that was his appointed time. Um, what a roller coaster ride of emotion because the people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. And they were quoting Psalm 118. And they went, they went from that to then Jesus gets down and he actually sees the city and he begins to weep over it. Why was Jesus weeping? Because people, that generation, the teachers, should have been teaching Jeremiah should have been teaching Daniel. He held them accountable. So what's your point with all this, Dwight? Um, I'm afraid our nation today as in the churches have gotten away from teaching the importance of Bible prophecy and connecting the dots. And what we're seeing about to uncover is we're about ready to enter into the Great Tribulation period. Well, who wants to talk about that? That's not very joyful, not very comforting. That's why a book like Lamentations are so important. Not any good words, no hope at all. It's just going to happen. So Jesus wept, and he only wept twice. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he wept because they wouldn't hear the word of God. Jesus wept because they should have known, but they didn't know, and that's the very reason that he said the city's going to fall. Question, did Jerusalem fall? Yeah, it did. In detail, the Lord described it because 38 years later in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. And they have not been in the land until uh, 1948. And today really is a big day in Israel. In all of Israel, we got Obama and, and um, some of the Clintons, heads of state, all heading over to Israel right now because of uh, Sharon Perez. And if I don't Stop doing background work. We won't even get through with chapter one. <laughs> so let's dive in. And again, you know, this, this, is, um, this is meant to be played. Definitely an A minor song. It's in the minor chords here with a lot of emotion. How lovely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she is who was, who was great among the nations. The princes among the provinces have become a slave 
She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks among all of her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've all become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity. That would be Babylon. Under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn. Because no one comes to the set feast every year. That's what, three times a year you would go to Jerusalem for the feast. This was a routine that was so embedded in the culture of Judaism. And now it's no more. And her gates are desolate. Her high, her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted and she's in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her. And because of the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, and her splendor has departed, her princes have become like deer. They can't find no pasture. They flee without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and and, and roaming, Jerusalem remembers at her pleasant things, that she had in the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her. The adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. The reason for Jerusalem's destruction is verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned grievously, and uh, they worship the Baals, they worship on the high places, they sacrificed their children to Moloch. And um, it was extreme. And in God's justice, he couldn't turn a blind eye. And his patience lasted so long. And um, she's become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and she turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts and she did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold her affliction, for the enemy has magnified himself. I picture Jeremiah just in the midst of the ruins as he's penning this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laying it out so precisely, letter by letter, literally weeping from A to Z in the Hebrew alphabet as he makes his way through. Uh, Verse 11, all her people sigh. Uh, They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Indeed, he was. Um, He was hated. He was thrown into prison. He was thrown into the pit. It is nothing to you, all you who pass by, question. Behold and see. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought to me? which the Lord has afflicted on me in the day of his fierce anger. For from above he sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them, and spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgression was bound. They have woven together by his hand and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those who I'm not able to withstand. Um, it was the chief prince 
and the rulers of the city that got angry. The king got really angry at him. And he said, what's the problem? And he said, because you're prophesying that we're going to go into captivity. And you're telling the people, uh, you're disheartening them. And so the king was angry with him and had him thrown into the dungeon. The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, and my eyes, my eyes overflow with water, because the comfort who should restore my life, it's far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but there's no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him, because of his adversaries, Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for all my lovers, but they deceived me, and my priests and my elders breathed their last in the city. He's an eyewitness to all these things that he had foretold. For they sought food to restore their life. There was no bread in Jerusalem. There was no water in Jerusalem. When they broke through and burned the temple, and um, the last few sections here is the confession of Jerusalem. He says, see, O Lord, I'm in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, at home it is like death. They have heard that I sigh, with no one to comfort me. And all my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day that you have announced, that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. And do to them as you have done to me, for all my transgression, for all my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. You know, here I just have to stop and I have to think of Paul when he talks about his ministry and just a Christian life in general. And that is, he talks about times of being cold and times of having no food and uh, being beaten often. And it was just part of his job description. When he lays out uh, what he boasts about, it's, it's about the hard things that he went through. But the flip side of the coin is for all eternity, um, I want to sort of hang out with Paul. <laughs> Get to know this guy that had such tenacity and, and perseverance. Guys like Jeremiah. I mean, when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, they want to know who is this guy. And Jeremiah's name is mentioned. Uh, they likened him because John the Baptist was black and white. And um, he spoke with an authority like an Old Testament prophet. So they said, are you Elijah? Are you Jeremiah? And so Jeremiah was part of, now that he'd been dead for all those years and John the Baptist is on the scene, they respect this man. They didn't then. And that's the way it's going to be now. The the, the scriptures talk about those that'll be faithful in the little things now. And you don't see your rewards now. Um, well, the Lord's keeping track. He's a, he's a great bookkeeper. 
And um, he says, those who are faithful in the little things now, well, I'm going to cause you to be faithful over much later. Well, when is later? Later is the kingdom. That's just for the first thousand years. We don't even have any clue what eternity is like. But we're going to be, you know, people have this, <laughs> this sort of passe sort of feeling about um, what we're going to do when, when we go to heaven. Well, we're, we're going to the new Jerusalem. And... Um, We just know what we're going to be doing for the first thousand years. But to the degree that you're faithful now, not popular, but faithful. This guy here was like Noah. Who believed Noah's message? (laughs) That many people. What was his message? Judgment's imminent. It's coming. It's going to rain. What's rain? Never rained before. So they just blew off the old man and called him a crazy old man. Well, even though it never rained before, it did rain. And the fountains of the deep burst open. And um, we have a worldwide flood. And we have evidence that surpasses anything that's out there today that's honest. Just listening to a program that was talking about the, the fossil records and the layers of sediment. After Mount St. Helen, everything changed. Because what they thought took billions of years took a couple months. And they had to rethink everything. And I really can't get sidetracked there. So um, my point is... Here was a man with a broken-hearted message, but that's what the Lord gave him to speak. So what I'll add in here as an application is that it is perfectly normal and right, and how can you not be grieved, and how can you not be sorrowful when you see the decline of morality in our own country and not be disgusted and upset? And I want you to know that that's okay. The Bible says, be angry but don't sin. Well, what does that mean? That means it's okay to get upset. When they were merchandising in the temple, the Lord made a whip and he cleaned, he cleaned house. And when he, the other thing he couldn't stand was hypocrisy. So the verbiage is pretty straightforward in Matthew chapter 23. Brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you blind guides. I mean, that's pretty direct. Well, boy, that's not very loving. No, but it's the truth. <laughs> And that's exactly, he just called them out. Um, Take advantage of widows. Um, Don't go there any farther. Get into chapter two. Okay, I will. Chapter two um, has 22 verses. Lord, here, this is sort of a eulogy. Is going to take full responsibility for Nebuchadnezzar, what he did. God allowed him to destroy the city of Jerusalem. God used him as his rod, just as he used the Assyrians against Israel for their punishment. So let's back up. This is the fall of Judah to Nebuchadnezzar. But in 7, I think it was 710, we have what's called Israel. Those would have been the ten northern tribes. And the Lord used Assyria to come in and take uh, the ten northern tribes. This is actually where we get Samaritans from. When you have an Assyrian marrying an Israeli, from these ten northern tribes, they interbred, and they were called half-breeds, and they became what we, in Jesus' time, were called the Samaritans. And uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, when you read John's Gospel, they did not get along. They had nothing in common. And, And the woman at the well was very surprised that the Lord had the time of day for her to talk to her. She said, you're a Jew. 
I'm a Samaritan. You know we don't talk to each other. What are you up to? And um, the Lord slowly opened up this woman. Instead of shunning her, he spoke to her in such a way that he got her asking questions. When you can get a person to start asking questions, now you're, you're being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. If you come across with a double-barreled shotgun and try to explain why you're right and they're wrong, they're not going to open up. They're going to close up. Good place for an amen. You know, Jesus' means of talking to people, extremely wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Hey, we don't get along. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. And yet, by the time it was all over, she went from calling him Jew to sir, if you read the chapter carefully, to a prophet, because she told her things nobody could do, to, I think you're the Messiah. And he says, yeah, you're right, I am. And look at the progression. Jew, sir, prophet, Messiah. All in one chapter. Totally amazing. Chapter two. How the Lord has covered the daughters of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He cast down heaven to the earth, the beauty of Israel, and did not remember his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up and has not pitied. All the habitations of Jacob he has thrown down in his wrath. The strongholds of the daughter of Judah, he has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. He has cut off in fierce anger every horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire, which devours all around. Standing like an army, he bent his bow with his right hand like an adversary, He has slain all who were pleasing to his eye on the tent of the plunder of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed all her strongholds and has increased mourning and and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. And it might be this verse right here, the mourning and lamentation where they actually captured the title for the name of this, this, these five books. He has done violence to his tabernacle as if it were a garden, and he has destroyed his place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feasts and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. Well, at least they would be for 70 years. And then it took him a while for the people to get back on track in worshiping the Lord, even after they were back. In his burning indignation, he has burned the king and the priest. The Lord has burned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord on the day of a set feast. It would have been the ninth of Av. Again, we've mentioned this before, but both this temple and what we call Herod Temple during Jesus' time were both destroyed on exactly the same day. It would have been the ninth of Av. The Lord has purpose to destroy the wall of, of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and the wall to, to lament, and they languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. 
Her kings and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They keep silent. That reminds me of Job and his suffering, where it was so bad that when his buddies showed up to comfort him, nobody said a word for seven days because he was in such... um, in such uh, turmoil and mourning over the loss of his, his children and his possessions. And here, uh, same thing, they throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. My eyes fail with tears and my heart is troubled. Again, Paul was concerned after his um, departure that Wolves would come in not sparing the flock. And then he says this. He says, didn't I warn you night and day for three years with tears? So Paul knew what was going to happen when he was gone. He knew that certain people uh, would try to sneak in and, and try to grab disciples after themselves. And he knew it. And he said, for three years I, I said this with, with, um, with tears that this would happen. Well, that's exactly what happened. My bile is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughters of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. Well, again, they were in siege. The food supply had run out. The water was gone. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine as they have swooned like the wounded for lack of strength because of no food in the streets of the city? And their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. How shall I console you? To what shall I liken you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I compare with you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is spread wide as the sea, and who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. Boy, we could get sidetracked here, because this is what the people wanted to hear. They said, ah, don't worry about a thing. Jeremiah's just blowing hot air. All the treasures, Jehoiachin's going to come back. They're going to bring some of the, the, the treasures back. And um, they were saying that Jeremiah was a false prophet. Well, now he addresses them. He says, your false prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not covered your iniquity to bring back your captives. That's what they said they were going to do. But they but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Now, this is one of the things that the Lord warns us about. Lord, what's it going to be like in the last days? That was a question. The disciples asked Jesus. The very first thing he says, he says, Beware that no man deceive you, for many false Christs and false prophets will come. I got an email today that said, um, I'm Jesus. Anybody else hear this one? And he says, I'm Jesus Christ. And I'll give $25,000 to anybody that can prove I'm not Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, he just proved he wasn't Jesus Christ. <laughs> can you see the Lord saying, I'll offer you $25,000. <laughs> no. You want a sign? No sign. And, but that's what he said. And it's going around. It'll, you'll hear about it sooner or later. And, and four times in Matthew 24, Jesus warned against 
false Christs and false prophets. And some of them won't be as obvious to see as this arrogant guy because they'll actually have signs and wonders to back up their claims. I believe this is going to really hit the fan after the church is gone because then in Second Thessalonians 2 it says, uh, when the restrainer is removed, the restraining force, which is the Holy Spirit, which is inside the church, um, you see, we're holding back so much. You might not realize how much the church is really holding things back. But it's really the Holy Spirit who's holding things back, who happens to dwell in the church. But when the Holy Spirit is removed with the rapture, then they will believe the lie. There's a chronological order there. And that lie can't uh, uh, be achieved because born-again Christians would say, that's a lie, and they would restrain it, and they would speak out against it. But when that restraining force is gone, then it'll be easy to, de- to deceive. I have, happen to believe um, that it has, it's going to have something to do with um, ETs, aliens, and how we really got here, that we really just planted here. And we check in on you guys every several 10,000 years or so, see how you're doing. And uh, it'll be probably something along those lines. But, you know, I just speculated. And guess what? Your speculation is just as good as my speculation when you're speculating. Okay? Okay, your prophets, verse 15, all who pass by clap their hands at you. They hiss, they shake their heads at the daughters of Jerusalem. Is this the city that is called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? Well, at one time it was. All your enemies have opened their mouths against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day we have waited for. We have found it. We have seen it. And the Lord has done what he proposed. He has fulfilled his word. Indeed, he has which he commanded in days of old, he has thrown down, has not pitied. And he has caused your enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the horn of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall, the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river dry in night. Give yourself no relief. Uh, Give your eyes no rest. Arise and cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord and lift your hand towards him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and consider to whom you have done this. Should the woman eat their offspring? Now this actually happened. It had gotten that bad that um, this was taking place. The children that they had cuddled. And should the priest and the prophets be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie on the grounds in the street. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered and not pitied. You have invited as to a feast day the terror that surrounded me in the day Of the Lord's anger, there was no refuge or survivor. Those whom I have borne and brought up, my enemies have destroyed. So the second chapter 
begins with a comparison is you, you didn't learn your lesson for what the Assyrians did to the 10 northern tribes. And just as the Lord used the Assyrians, now he's using the Babylonians to deal with you because you didn't learn from your sister Israel. Now, chapter three is a little bit different. Again, this would be uh, eulogy number three. Each of the chapters in this book of Lamentation, again, they're acrostic. Um, And three is the exception of the 22 verses, but it has 66 and um, which means that there are three verses that begin with each letter of the alphabet. So instead of just one, when you get to verse twenty, when you get to verse one is um, elf, and then when you get to verse twenty-three, it'll be the same a letter, and then when you get to verse forty-five, in the last twenty-two verses, it, it starts with the um, the Hebrew alphabet all over again. So. 66 verses in chapter 3, a little bit different because um, in the midst of all this, we have these great verses like 23, great is your faithfulness. Well, we sing that song. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, this is where it comes from. Where is it? It's in the middle of, of lamentation where there's this hope that's still there, that God's still gonna have um, some pity and mercy and hope to those who will seek him. So let's pick it up in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, uh, he shuts out my prayer. It's just being weighed down, and we can all identify with that. We've all had times when we just feel weighed down, overcome. And, um, and again, this is what I like about God's word. It's, it doesn't pull punches um, and always declare that things are going to be easy and you're always going to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's not what the scriptures teach. And here we have this book that's dedicated to a, a lament of... Um, and there's nothing good because God has uh, brought judgment and correction because, again, he's just. They justly deserve this punishment. All right, verse 10. He has been to me like a bear laying in the weight, like a lion in an ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He, had, he has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and he set me as a target for the arrow. And he caused the arrow of his quiver to pierce my loins. And I become the ridicule of all my people. Jesus said uh, that there'll be mockers in the last days. And here he was ridiculed. He was ridiculed for giving God's word. Well, we tell people the Lord is coming soon. Are you ready? 
And um, I remember one time, just a quick side, I've told the story before, in a little white church, we had this sign up. And um, I just put on there, are you ready? And that's all it says, are you ready? And I was in the house one day, just messing around with my guitar, I get a knock at the door. And uh, it was an Eldorado parked in, 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 in uh, front of my house. And the guy just looks at me. I'm not going to say his name, but he's very well known in the city of Appleton. And he worked for one of the, if not the richest man in the valley. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not ready. I said, well, why don't you come on in? <laughs> Long story short, that sign um, of not being ready, ask him to knock on some guy's door he never met before. I led him to the Lord. Then I led his girlfriend to the Lord. And then I married him at, at uh, um, another church on the other side of town. And um, how did I get sidetracked on telling that story is the question. <laughs> I'll come to it. Um, what was that last verse we're in? Therefore I have hope. 14? Oh, scoffers in the last days. Yeah, that's where he got sidetracked. Well, he was scoffed at. He was ridiculed. And so we say Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Well, you're going to have scoffers, but you're also going to have open-hearted people that have no answers. And they're going to knock on your door. You got an answer? I mean, when he's got it, this guy had it all at the time as far as money was concerned, but it wasn't working for him. And, um, um, but on the flip side of that, you're going to have people that, that call you a fool. I was just reading in just a couple days ago, Chuck's wisdom for today was being a fool for Christ. And he was using Paul as an example. Paul said, I'll be a fool for Christ. And he went on to sing some, quote some old love song, Everybody, Somebody's Fool. Whose fool are you? And so Jeremiah laid it all out there. He did not care. He could have cared less what people thought. He was going to be a fool for Christ. And if you want to scoff, scoff away. It's, it's not going to change his message. Gang, in these days, that's the kind of conviction that you have to have. You don't want, people don't want your opinion. Don't give me your opinion. This is what the word of God has to say about your situation. And then you leave it at that. And then the Holy Spirit is very faithful to be like a broken record going around in that person's head with that scripture. And it will not return void. Another good place for an amen. So forget about your thoughts and your feelings and your whatevers and get to know the word of God really well and know that when you get scoffed at, we're gonna read in just a little bit here in verse 30 where Jesus talked about it. It says, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him. Huh, that sounds familiar. That's exactly what the Lord said. When somebody smacks you, well, turn the other cheek and say, well, you can have this one too. Well, he might have pulled that out of Jeremiah, for all we know. Verse 16, the bitterness that was there, he has broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said my strength and my hope have uh, perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and, and roaming and the wormwood and the, and the gall. 
and my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Now this is a very famous verse, because we should be. Because of his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Sound familiar? That's because we sang it tonight. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The beautiful praise song that we sang tonight comes from the very middle of the book of Lamentation. The Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. And the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. And let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. What was the duration of their punishment? Jeremiah told them over and over again, 70 years, 70 years. What did Daniel say in Daniel 1 verse 9? Well, I was reading the book of Jeremiah. And uh, it was there that Jeremiah said that 70 years are determined upon my people Israel. And now the 70 years is up. And um, Daniel writes Daniel chapter 9. First 20 verses is a prayer. Everything that Jeremiah is lamenting here. Um, After the 70 years, this would be a, a great thing to do for extra credit just go home and read the first 20 verses of of Daniel chapter 9 because he repents on behalf of the nation of Israel we have sinned we've sinned against you everything you told us not to do we did and the thing about the prayer when you really get into it you find that it escalates in intensity oh lord how long building 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 until he's interrupted by the angel Gabriel And we have, again, one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible coming from Daniel chapter 9, beginning with Jeremiah in verse 1. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief for them it was 70 years, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. Um, but how many times have we prayed for, for friends that are, are, are blowing us off when we're talking to them about the Lord? They don't want, don't want to hear it. So we give them up to prayer. How do we pray? Lord, whatever it takes. Because I don't want to see them in hell. So put them through hell now. Because it's better to go through, Jesus said, you know, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better that that happen than to spend eternity. So I always Pray for my buddies. Lord, whatever it takes. Knock them off their high horse. Cause them to go through terrible times. <laughs> and um, But if it means them getting so far down that they finally look up, so be it. Another good place for an amen. Whatever it takes. 
to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High. Or subvert a man in his cause the Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and he comes and, he, and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that the woe and well-being uh, proceed. Why should a lying man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud, and that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an offspring and a refuge in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of waters. He said that at least four times now. For the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow. They do not cease without interruption. Till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes being suffered um, to my soul because of the daughters of my city. The scripture just coming to mind. When you when we go to Israel, one of the places that you can uh, in in the old city for a souvenir, uh, they have these little vases and it has a little narrow pitcher, and um, it's for catching tears. And where it comes from is a scripture that says that the Lord has numbered every tear that you've ever cried. That's what the scriptures teach. Just like he knows every hair on your head, he says, I know and I've counted every tear that you have ever cried and I know how many there are. So that's how intimately he's concerned and when we think uh, he doesn't know and he doesn't care and he's far away, just the opposite is true. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, I can't help that. I know what my Bible says and that's what it says. That he numbers the hairs on his head. He knows the sparrows that fall. Judy and I watched God of Wonders last night, and it is so stinking good. Can you say that? I just did. <laughs> that I'm going to play it um, at least the first five minutes sometime before Christmas and encourage you once again. It is one of the most powerful witnessing tools that I have ever seen. It slam dunks anybody who believes in ev- evolution. You can't watch God of Wonders and uh, still be uh, an evolutionist. You cannot. The evidence is so overwhelming, and uh, it's so well done. And then it breaks in and out with Dave Hunt and Roger Oakland and Frank Sherwin, who we had here years ago, and so many well-respected Bible teachers that are just there, extremely knowledgeable. But the photography itself is just off the charts, so I just said, i got to show it. Um, and we've showed it before and it's just one of those if you just want to get blessed and you're feeling down sit down and plug in God of Wonders I mean I got them stacked they're both you know the door rests where you put stuff in your car uh, along the edge there mine are stacked with God of Wonders 
You know, just in case I get pulled over by a cop for something, I got something to give to him after he's done giving me a ticket or whatever. Or you're witnessing to somebody, and um, you know, you just got a minute, give him a God of wonders. And you'll be sowing some really, really good seed. So what they have is they have special ones that are wrapped in Christmas presents. So one of these Sundays before you do your, your holiday shopping, we're going to be playing the first five minutes. It'll get your attention real quick. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember how good that was. And um, it's just something that will draw people in just because of the beauty and, um, and the marvel of the God of wonders and his creation and how awesome it is. Okay, I left off in verse, um, you have covered yourself with a cloud, the prayer should pass through, and you have made us, and off scourging in a refuge in the midst of the people. No, I've read that part, didn't I? I'm in 55, closer to 55. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit, and you heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from the sighing from my cry for help. You draw near on the day I called on you and said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. Wow, when I was reading this today, I stopped with that verse right there. Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. Well, who's he pleading the case against? Revelation 12 says that the devil... The accuser of the brethren accused them day and night before the Father. But we have a great defense attorney. And all he has to say was, that one's mine. I bought him with my own blood. Case dismissed. And he pleads for your soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wronged. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me. The lips of my enemies and their whisperings against me all the day. We've got to shut up Jeremiah. We don't like what he has to say. Throw them in the pit. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the works of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them in your anger. Pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of, of, the, of the Lord. So there were those that continually got on Jeremiah, all his 40 years of faithful ministry. And um, now he's saying, I'm pleading my case, Lord, and I'm holding it up to you. Remember, vengeance is the Lord. He'll be the one that'll do the repaying. Chapter four, we get back into sort of a meditation, we're back into the 22 verses of this one here. Sitting in the debris and the ashes of Jerusalem, Jeremiah now describes the horror of the destruction of the city and the carrying into captivity of the people by Nebuchadnezzar. So this is after the fact. He's like, Jer- like Job sitting in the ashes. The conditions during the siege... So he's describing now what it was like when it fell. He says, how the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered. 
At the head of every street, Solomon's temple was one of the most beautiful buildings ever constructed, overlaid with pure gold and um, unbelievable wealth of the temple. The precious sons of Zion, uh, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the works of the hand of a potter. Even the jackals present their their, their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughters of my people have become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of his mouth for thirst, and the young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Again, you know, there's nothing more sad than a child with no food. In Haiti, we can always tell who they are because uh, their hair turns orange. And um, just, oh, 10, 15 miles away from from Carnet is, is a town, and if it doesn't rain, what they do is they make dirt bowls. And you got the idea. There's some nutrients in the soil, so they, they make them and pat them together. And um, that's rural Haiti. If, if it doesn't rain, you don't eat. And um, the malnutrition, instead of, you can tell because their, their bellies get really extended at the same time. But their hair turns orange. Did I say yellow before? Orange, it turns orange. And um, it's one of the signs. One of the great things about, um, we're in contact quite a bit, we're getting ready for the dedication of uh, the property and we're getting a team together to go down in the middle of uh, first part of January and uh, being a part of the dedication. Uh, But one of the ways that the Lord has provided in rural Haiti is uh, the meals that the, the kids get. Um, 200 plus students at at the school um, down there, and they get a solid meal. And for a lot of them, if if it's not a if there wasn't a good rainy season, that'll be the only meal that they get that they get that particular day. So as we look at uh, um, chapter four here, the the helpless helplessness that Jeremiah is remembering. When the city fell, what's, what he couldn't get out of his head was that the children were so thirsty, their tongues stuck to their mouth, and they had no bread. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet uh, embrace ash he- heaps. And the punishment of the iniquity of the daughters of my people is greater than the punishment of, Sodom, of the sins of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help them. In some ways, it was probably more merciful for Sodom and Gomorrah because it was over real quick. Where here, it was a prolonged, dragged out, slow death through um, lack of nutrition. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than, than rubies, like sapphires in their appearance. Now, Nazarite, John the Baptist had a vow of a Nazarite. If you took the vow of a Nazarite, um, you didn't cut your hair, you couldn't eat grapes, raisins, or drink wine, and there was certain conditions that had, had to be met if you took the vow of a Nazarite. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the street. Their skin clings to their bones. They just become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for they pine away. 
uh, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. And the hand of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. Oh man, I can hardly read that. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. He had to pen those words. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion. He has devoured its foundation. The kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem because of the sins of her prophets. There's a lot of sins of going on in the pulpits in, the, in our country today. They're on the take. They know full well what they're doing. They're what we call fleecing the flock. Um, and they set you up, and they know full well that they are not being motivated, like Paul says, the love of Christ motivates me to do what I do. Well, the dollar motivates them, and they're charlatans. And um, we, we call it the prosperity doctrine. And um, taking ad- advantage <laughs> where the prosperity gospel will never work. Um, that if, if you tithe your 10% here, that God's going to bless you a hundredfold. And there's people that'll fall for it. Every, the old saying, there's one born every minute. Somebody will believe it. You only need one. <laughs> you know where that doesn't work? Haiti. <laughs> There's no prosperity preachers in Haiti because it's, you know, they see the the foolishness of it. Verse 14, the wandering blind in the streets, they have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their, their garments. They cried out to them, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them, and he no longer regards them. And the people do not respect the priests, nor show favor to the elders. Still, our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that would not save us. They thought Egypt would. Um, They looked to Moab, and all of them were destroyed, especially Egypt. They wanted to go to Egypt. And um, they took Jeremiah with them, and Jeremiah says, no good hanging out here because Nebuchadnezzar's going to come and wipe out Egypt. That's exactly what happened. For the nation could not save them. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near, our day was over, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us from the mountains, and they laid wait in the wilderness. The breath of their nostrils, the anointed of of the Lord, was caught in in their pits, on whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Now, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall pass over you to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Edom. Of Jerusalem, It's all in the past tense that he's writing. Uh, he will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughters of Edom, and he will uncover your sin. Now our last chapter, again, it's very short, 22 verses. This is the final and fifth lament in the prayer of Jeremiah. 
the review and the need of restoration. Now Jeremiah says, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and remember our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. We pay for the water we drink and our wood comes at a price. They pursue at our heels. We labor and we have no rest. We have given our hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. This reminds me of, um, um, I was actually in the restaurant that, where they filmed Schindler's List when they were in um, Warsaw. And they, they still have the same restaurant was there. And when we were there, of course, this is where they had um, the ghettos and they portioned off a part of Warsaw. And that's where, before they took them to the concentration camps, when it talks about them giving their money to the foreigners, this is exactly what the Nazis did. And when you visit Auschwitz, um, you'll see room after room because Auschwitz is completely, pretty much intact, where Birkenau was almost completely destroyed. They're only three miles apart. But you have whole buildings that are just full of marked suitcases. And then they would have whole rooms just full of shoes. So when they would pillage the people from the Warsaw quarters, before they killed them, they pillaged them. And they took all their valuables that they could. Um, If you had gold in your teeth, they made sure that was taken out before you were sent to Auschwitz. So I liken what I just read here. You pay for your water. The foreigners pillaged them. That's exactly what happened um, to the Jews that were sent off to places like Auschwitz. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives, same in Warsaw, because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. They ravished the women in Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung up by their hands and the elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstone, boys staggered under the loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate and the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about it. You, O Lord, remain forever. You're thrown from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19 in closing tonight. I want to connect a couple dots. America's number one, I mentioned and showed you a picture of him shaking hands with the Pope on Sunday. Rick Warren said that Jesus taught 
that we're not to have anything to do with Bible prophecy, but that we should be about doing the Lord's work instead. Well, I want you to know that just the opposite of what America's pastor is saying is true. To the point where I want to make a connection between Jeremiah and what he had to say. What, what, what was his message? Well, it was prophetic. He said, because of your sin, you're going to be 70 years in the captivity of Babylon. Is not that the entire book of Jeremiah, except for 41 to 50, 46 to 51, where it talks about God judging these other nations, including Babylon? So when you look back on it, you have to say everything that Jeremiah said was true, and so important that Daniel got his information from Gabriel because he was reading the book of Jeremiah. And after reading the book of Jeremiah, he'd been there the entire 70 years. He was one of the first to go at the age of 17. And now he's reading Jeremiah, and he said, it's all about 70 years in captivity. I've been here for 70 years, time to go home. It drew him to prayer, and while he was praying, Gabriel, Gabriel again appeared to him and gave him the whole outline for the whole 490 years that God is gonna deal with the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem in particular. And that's what Daniel 9 is all about. And it tells us in Daniel 9 the very day that Jesus would allow himself to be worshiped. And you're looking at it in Luke 19. And again, we, we start with this entry of him coming down the Mount of Olives, and they're quoting Psalm 118. That's a messianic psalm that can only be sung to the Messiah himself. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, Psalm 118. Well, Pharisees knew what that was all about. And they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They think you're the Messiah. And he says, well, I really can't because it's prophecy. And if, and if I tell them to be quiet, then the stones are going to have to sing. Don't you just wish. <laughs> so they would have shut up just for a second. Singing stones. <laughs> Instead of the rolling stones, you have the singing stones. And then... Again, I want you to see the mood change here. And um, one of two times that Jesus wept. And I want to make the connection between the man of sorrows that Isaiah talks about, acquainted with grief, and um, afflicted that we would not esteem him. And he goes from that verse now to verse 41. When he drew near the city, he wept over it. This was one of the two times that Jesus was weeping. Why was Jesus weeping? Hear me close and closing up the book of Jeremiah. It's about prophecy. He was weeping because they did not know the prophecies of Jeremiah and Daniel. That's why Jesus is crying. He's weeping over Jerusalem. He says, if he had only known, even especially in this your day. You see, this is the day Daniel was talking about the things that would have made for your peace, but now they're hidden for your, from your eyes. Then he prophesies, just like Jeremiah prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem. As Jeremiah predicted and prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, this is April 6, 32 AD, now Jesus is gonna prophesy about the destruction of Jerusalem 
and the temple is going to be destroyed on exactly the same day, the ninth of Av. Some coincidence, huh? For the day will come upon you, future tense, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave one stone upon another because. Why was Jesus weeping? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You should have known. You know what that's called? Prophecy. Jesus was weeping because they did not know Bible prophecy. How important is Bible prophecy? Every other, almost every other verse, not every verse, but how many times have you read that this was done so that it would fulfill that which was written? How many times have we read that? It's all prophecy. People say, you're always talking about prophecy. Well, if you're going to teach the Bible chapter by chapter, you're going to be talking about prophecy, and you can't get away from it. Amen? All right, so we just left a very um, somber book. Um, And um, we find Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, being tied in with our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who wept. Just like Jeremiah wept over the very same city and predicting the very, very same events. So, I'm just using common sense. If it's always been right in times past, and I look back and seeing that Jesus fulfilled this 38 years later in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. And then he said, in the end, Israel's gonna come back into the land again. And they're gonna become a nation in one day. That's what happened. And then they're gonna have great men like Ariel Sharon, and Sharon Perez. And today's a mournful day. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I really don't. Uh, many times where the Lord has us doing a Bible study, lamenting. What is Israel doing tonight? They're mourning. And they should be. My Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Right now, our friends in Israel are, are weeping and, and uh, bemoaning the loss of them. Boy, I'm past my time. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, it's with a somewhat somber tone we close our Bible study tonight, but I don't think you'd want it any other way. It's a book of lamenting. It is a book where we have children not eating and dying in the streets. And we have this broken-hearted prophet with a broken-hearted message. And we see it tying into our own Lord and Savior, a man of sorrows. And one of two times when he cried was because they should have known, but they didn't, and they weren't being taught, and they should have been. So Lord, help us learn as we make our way through the scriptures that all scripture is given by inspiration from you, and we thank you that uh, you lay it all out for us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we thank you for the book of Lamentations, and we pray that we could leave tonight with maybe a different perspective of this book. But we thank you for all of it. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen and amen.